Hey, y'all. A quick note before we begin today's episode. This show was recorded on Friday, and over the weekend, we learned of the passing of Danny Solis. Danny was a pillar of the poetry community and instrumental in creating and building the spoken word communities of Albuquerque, the South, and this nation. Danny's words and actions have affected the lives of everyone in our community, even if you didn't know him, and his impact will reverberate for years. Our hearts go out to our friends and family in Burke and across the country that knew him well. Rest in power, hermano. Please enjoy the show. Yeah. How was your day, Caitlin? It was good. I had a workout class. I got a poster. I got an old vintage German poster of the mm. movie Chicken Run. And so I framed it and put it up today. If ever there should be a poster in German uh, to put to frame and put on a wall, I would I, I think Chicken Run's the one. That's Do you that's know a, what Chicken Run is in German? No. It's Hennen Rennen. Hennen Rennen. Yes, I'm obsessed with it. Okay, I'm ready. All, All right. right. Salute. 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 And with that, we've just taken our second shot of tequila. My name is Chibi. My name is Rooster. And this is After Two Tequila Shots, the podcast where we take two tequila shots and then talk about current events. Uh, unfiltered, uncensored, unpredictable, but always distilled. Let's go, people. Okay, so first things first, full disclosure, we normally film uh, these episodes on Sundays. However, because of a, a traveling artist schedule, we're actually filming this on Friday. So mm -hmm. if there's anything that happens over the weekend, we will not talk about it on the pod today. Uh, we'll just have to talk about it next week on the pod. Hopefully nothing happens over the weekend. Oh, Lord, so much has happened this week. But <laughs> So we got to dive right in. Uh, hi, everybody. If you're joining us for the first time, my name is Chibi. I'm a poet, producer, publisher, and performer and community organizer. And uh, I'm going to be in Iowa this weekend, which sounds way more exciting than I think it... Actually, it sounds way less exciting than what I think it actually is going to be like. What are the odds that you're like the biggest show in Iowa during that time? Hey, there's a very strong possibility. That it's like Chibi's coming to Iowa, right? And they just all kind of going nuts. I can see that, but uh, we'll see. I'm I'm flying into Des Moines, and then we're traveling out to Grenell College in Grenell, Iowa. Okay, you're definitely the biggest thing happening in Grenell, <laughs> Iowa that day. I, I, I'll put money on that. Yeah. Uh, and my name is Rooster Martinez. I am an author from San Antonio, Texas, and I'm happy to be here. Always happy to be here. And this week we have a special guest. Oh, fun. <laughs> Hi, I'm Caitlin Can. I was, um, I live in New York City. I'm a actor, singer, artist, etc. And I'm about to perform in a show at the Fresh Fruits Festival in New York City called Cowgirl Summer going up May 2nd, 3rd, and the 6th. There we go. Hey, applause, 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 applause for that. 
So if you're in New York, be sure you catch that show. Yeah, yeah. Caitlin is actually joining us remotely via Bluetooth. Uh, this is the first time we've had a, re- a remote guest host on the show. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Caitlin. I'm very honored. Yeah. Very honored. Thank you. Caitlin, was the zigzag to my Hedwig? Yes, y'all did a tremendous job in that play. <laughs> I caught oh, closing thank night. thank you. Yeah, no, it was excellent. Keep... Oh, awesome. We're still not over it. In any case, uh, this week, our drink of choice is Casadores. Love it. Reposado. A classic. Yeah. It's I, always a good uh, go-to tequila. It, it, it's 100% another go-to. It's usually, <laughs> like, when I when I go to buy, like, a giant bottle of tequila, it, it's usually either 1800 Reposado, Casadores Reposado, or Jose Cuervo Tradicional Reposado. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of, like, the three middle-of-the-road good taste to them. It gives you that tart agave taste, mm-hmm. but it also has that nice aromatic robustness. There's a smoothness to this one also. Yes, it's, cool it's not burn. quite as, quite not as, 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 as oaky, woodsy, smoky to it. It's right. light. It lingers. Ling- mm-hmm. ling- tip, tip of the tongue. It, 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 it ballets and pirouettes across <laughs> the palate. Yes. And even though they're not here with us, Caitlin is drinking with us. And what are you drinking today? I am drinking a shot of Deep Eddie's Grapefruit Vodka because it's deep. It's one of the easiest things I can take a quick shot of. Excellent. I was going to say, who hurts you? An Austin institution. We're here for it. We support. We don't kink shame in this house. So, uh, like we said, there's even though we just recorded an episode on Monday and it's only been four days, there's a lot to talk about, people. So let's get into our major news events recap of the week. Let's go. Okay, I put this in here because uh, I don't want to talk about it, but it's kind of hard not to talk about it, Have which to talk about is it. Donald Trump uh, and the indictment and the arraignment. And I don't want to talk about it because I feel like we've talked about it ad nauseum for the past couple of weeks. For the and, last couple of years. Yeah. And it, the the trial isn't until December. And it's, it's a whole like there's a lot more time and nothing new has really developed over the past since the last recording. So right. there's no need to dive into that but what i do want to talk about is this story that said that his campaign released a statement saying that in like the two days after the indictment happened they had raised more than seven million dollars for their campaign and i just want to know what is wrong with people like who out there is trying to cover the legal fees of a billionaire can we just talk about how campaign finance makes no sense and how there's no other employment system in the world that exists where you ask the public for money so that you can get a job. Right. If there's ever been a time to have (laughs) campaign uh, uh, finance reform, uh, it's clearly now when you have someone on trial getting that much money, just like it's a drop in the bucket. If, does does anyone know anyone that's like donated to the camp? Like I like, where's the seven million dollars coming from? <laughs> I I feel like it's we're in this space where nowadays it's not. I I, I know there's more undercover Trump supporters than there like previously. Mm. Like you still have the the outright loud aggressive mm. supporters wearing the hat like I'm full blown drinking the Kool Aid of this cult. Mm-hmm. And then you I, I I do still feel like there's underpinnings of like. The this the cabal of, that is Trump, you know what I mean? <laughs> the well dressed, well kempt uh, Trump loyalists out there who feel like no, he 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 does bring a sort of 
fascist order to things that they like. <laughs> you bring up a good point because like I remember back in 2016 this like this idea of like undercover Trump supporters mm. where like I didn't know a single person before the election. Before the election that was supporting Trump. Like not a single person in the that I was in any of my circles. And then after he won the election, they just popped out of nowhere like they felt like they now had the freedom to be like, "Oh yeah, I voted for him." And it's like, "Where were you these past like 9 months where I was openly talking about the bullshit shit and you said nothing like did either of you have like undercover trump supporters that just like popped out of the woodworks post-election yeah for sure i mean like it's so interesting because um about like the indictment and everything my roommate is a journalism major and so they uh the class like went to the courthouse and i mean mm. you don't you wouldn't think how liberal new york like you would just like <laughs> see these people but it was pretty at least what she was telling me is it was pretty like evenly divided and it wasn't like you obviously had like a bunch of different people kind of like protesting their own like causes there were some people for black lives matter there were some people mm. who were who were who were embracing the indictment and saying like like put him to jail like he's he's not untouchable and you had a, obviously like the trump supporters and and other things but no sometimes like i'll be on facebook and i'm usually never on facebook and <laughs> i'll just see i'll see like a shared thing about trump or mm. i'll see like a post and i just go immediately to to the unfriend. <laughs> I don't know. Two points here. One, uh, I, I definitely got into it on Facebook with a couple of people post-election being like, are you fucking for real right now? Unfriend. Bye. Uh, but two, to, clar <laughs> to clarify something right here, uh, Rooster and I definitely fall into the uh, elder millennial uh, category, while Caitlin is definitely a Gen Zer. So the comment of I'm never on Facebook does not surprise me. And it also makes me just feel really old. <laughs> um, I think so. for me, I, what I kept seeing a lot was a lot of sort of maybe fringe Trump supporters or, or, and, and, and I was always, it was always like, I would find out that they were supporters through their asking of certain rhetorical questions mm. or needing clarifications on things like, so why do we really hate him? Do we hate him for what he, and I'm like, wait a minute, time the fuck out. Like, <laughs> wait, are you telling me that you kind of support this motherfucker? Like what, what's going on here? So it was a lot of that. And I think, I mean, we've kind of talked about this at length that, that, that there's sort of that complete imbalance of the either or option that mm -hmm. we have in, mm -hmm. in this country with it's either Democrats or Republicans. And do I think Hillary Clinton was a, a, a bad candidate? Yes. Like not a bad, not saying at all that she wasn't qualified like to, for the position. I mean, if Trump could get it, then she was miles <laughs> ahead of, yeah. uh, of qualified for that position. But in terms of candidacy, we have this weird thing where we want candidates who register with us on like an emotional base level. Mm. And I've always thought that is very weird. Mm. Like, I don't want a president who I feel like I can drink a beer with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, ever. I don't want to, I don't know to come over to my house. To, like you have a job to do. But that's person. That's literally how the past two democratic presidents have one is you know for bill clinton it was that moment where mm. he came on saturday night live and played the saxophone and suddenly right. everyone was like he's cool i'd invite him over for a beer let's <laughs> vote for him right and that's what did it and same thing with obama it was like this appeal of like nah i you know i have cookouts too you know <laughs> i think i think obama was sort of like this new 
post 2011 Bush years, like, okay, no, this is how we step into the future as a country, Mm -hmm. kind of like he was very personable. And I think people really like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it was sort of that like, okay, no, now's the time if we're ever going to elect a black president. It's this one. We're very behind him. Hope and change. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag hope and change. And 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 I think that really worked. And I do agree with you specifically about the, the Bill Clinton part. I think Democrats are always in this weird space where it's like we're the bleeding hearts that are trying to fix things. And for most people, they don't understand that there's issues to be fixed. So it's like, oh, you're going to spend our money and resources on these things. We need a bigger military. And it's like, what? No, we have the biggest <laughs> by leaps and bounds. Like, yeah. no, we don't need that. We need to pay teachers. You know, we need we need more money in the arts and 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 and, and homeless programs and all types of things like that. And that's where I think it becomes this weird this weird connection with voters because it's like they just see Democrats as these misled idealists and not individuals mm-hmm. with actual plans. Whereas conservatives and Republicans have no plan, just culture wars. Yeah. Caitlin, let me get yeah. your, your thoughts on this because what, well, uh, as, as, as the elder millennials here feel like we are a little beat, beat down over it. And like, like Rooster said, you know, like the two party system, doesn't work in that it feels like a lot of Republicans are voting Republican because they're just anti-Democrat. They're not necessarily pro whoever the candidate is. And in a lot of Democrats, at least I feel like, are voting Democratic because it's the lesser of two evils. And so I get like we're less than enthusiastic to vote for our candidate. But the other option is to not vote and let the other candidate win. Mm-hmm. So uh, as as the official spokesperson for all of Gen Z, Caitlin, what are your takes? <laughs> <laughs> love, love the pressure. Um, I definitely identify with like the lesser of two evils, like rhetoric. Um, I also feel that like at least the at least when Joe Biden was running for president, you know, he was hitting like all of the things that like Gen Z really cares about, climate change, gun control. And he hasn't, I don't know. I mean like the Willow project has been like yeah. a huge like hypocritical thing that a lot of people are like really upset at him about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. What else what else would you like to know as the as the um, spokesperson for Gen Z? This has become our m- most overplayed sound effect on this uh, podcast. It's the <laughs> I mean, you know, I wish there was more to be happy and clap about as it relates to American politics, but these this is sadly how it, we are. It's a shit show. Do you think Joe Biden should step aside for the next election? One hundred percent. I mean, we talked <sighs> we talked about it last week where like I don't think there's a clear front runner in the party right now, but I don't I don't see Uncle Joe getting the kind of energy and support and enthusiasm that would be needed to run against a a Trump or a DeSantis or a... I could honestly see Trump doing worse, though, like against Joe Biden. I I, I could because I I do. While there is still this like very close knit MAGA uh, base um, and the Republican Party is trying to navigate that. I still think that that there has been enough of a split that whoever he were to go up against, especially specifically Joe Biden, that uh, he would not do as well as he did mm-hmm. in 2020. I, I, I think that's the thing is if you get Joe Biden to step aside, then you leave the door more open. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not happy for it. I'm not here for it. But I mean, I, I think I agree with like, I don't know who the front runner would be. Um I mean, I can see it. I think like he would love to stick it to Trump one more time. <laughs> so with Kamala, I beat you like, twice, motherfucker. 
Yeah, I can totally see that for him. Um, I was just thinking about Bernie Sanders for some reason. And I just remember like, so met like at least I voted for Bernie Sanders like mm-hmm. for the primaries. Mm-hmm. Um and he's not gonna he's not gonna run again, but imagine. I wonder yeah. what that would look like. Now. Yeah. And see that's I think that's where my mind is at is like, all right, I'll you know, if it's if it's Biden Trump, I'll vote for Biden again, but I'm not gonna go campaign for him. I'm not gonna go, mm-hmm. you know, like door to door trying to convince because uh, I'm like I'm not enthusiastic about that as a candidate. Sure. That I'm gonna and so that's where my concern lies that there's gonna be this general malaise over him being the candidate and it's just not there's not gonna be that kind of like push behind like get out to vote and blah blah blah, support this candidate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that you would Versus someone that you're enthusiastic about. I, I think that's one of the key things. Like Republicans don't really win elections unless they gerrymander the fuck out of something. As long as mm-hmm. they, you know, suppress votes or try to uh, like in Texas right now, they're trying to get rid of the option for voting mm-hmm. sites to be on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And even though that's mm-hmm. may not seem like a big deal, like especially a community college, that's a community center. So the fact that you're just removing, you know, that option for people is just, again, making it harder, making it more difficult because they can't just win favorably. They, there hasn't been a Republican who won a popular vote in, in like whatever, what, yeah, more than 20 years. years yeah. yeah. Something like that. So, yeah. and and I think that's kind of at the heart of this. It's, it's just this thing where it's like, we have to do it because we have to do it. But then it also like many things in this country, it's like, it's something that we do, but at the same time feels like it's a punishment for doing, because it's like at the end of the, the, the maze, the cheese is Joe mm-hmm. Biden. Yeah. And, but that, <laughs> but exactly. Because like I, there's, there's a lot about Biden that, you know, it, is you know we mentioned the willow project right like that like when backed into a corner i'm not going to defend this guy and my kind of like irk with it is that now we're taking on similar republican mentalities of like it's not that i'm for this party it's that i'm against the other party and so i'll just take whatever i can get which is what has allowed democrats to like get into office, but then not actually do anything while they're there because they're banking on the fact that, well, we'll just vote for you because we don't really have another option, I guess. Right. No, don't hit that button. Don't hit that button. Oh, wait, cool. That was the wrong. Okay, good. <laughs> I was going to hit the other button. No, I, I know you were. I know, I know. Let's pivot and talk about something we are looking forward to. Okay. Yes. Some sunshine, some, some, some smiles, some oh, pink. Oh, albeit very artificial sunshine and smiles, very plastic. Yes. Uh, but this week, the teaser trailer for the Barbie movie dropped. Uh, and actually, this got on my radar because of Michelle Lizette Flores, who sent it through the DMs. Uh, we could have put this in the later section, but because it's current events, we're going to put it here. Uh, and so the teaser trailer dropped. Have you seen it? I have. Bruce just seen it. Caitlin, you, you've definitely seen it. Oh, well, correction. This is the second teaser trailer. Oh, yes, correct. Um, this is why we brought this-, this is why we brought Caitlin on the pod for this specific topic. <laughs> Yes, I have so much lore with this topic, but I'm ready to dive into it. Okay, tell us. Tell us more. So what what were people thinking? I mean, this project started like way back and I feel I feel like 2009. Um, it was originally announced that Amy Schumer was going to be, it was like an Amy Schumer project and she was going to be Barbie. And I was reading an article recently um, about how like she left because of a schedule conflict, but really it was creative differences because so, because it was a Sony movie in the beginning. And then 
I think they she left because they weren't going to make the movie that she wanted to make. Then I think there was like a contract expiration or whatever. And then it went back to Warner brothers and then they brought on Margot Robbie and then they brought on Greta Gerwig. Mm -hmm. And that's what got everyone really excited because oh, it's just crazy. And then all those pictures, I don't know if you remember like all those pictures leaking, like the like sneak preview and it's um, Ryan Gosling with like a jean jacket vest or something. Like, (laughs) It's like hand glistening six pack and everyone was like losing it. This movie is going to be uh, so gay. <laughs> oh, it's so gay. And it's so, it's so funny because it's opening the same day as the new Christopher Nolan movie Oppenheimer. Oh, oh Lord. <laughs> and you, I mean, it's kind of obvious, like what movie is going to be on the top for box office. What, um, what about the Barbie movie has you most excited? Um, Caitlin. Um, I, I think it's a really like, it's an all-star cast. I see like a lot of like plus size actors in it, which mm. makes me really excited. Um, I think, I, I'm a really big fan of Greta Gerwig and I think like she's going to make the movie like not as superficial. I'm living that like Will Ferrell is playing the head of Marv, like Mattel. <laughs> um, yeah. I just think like the world looks really interesting. Um, Margot Robbie's going to kill it. Like there's. Is this, is this a movie that do you think could like really, it's weird. Cause I feel like Margot Robbie is like established as both as like sort of a very popular actress and sometimes not taken completely serious. I know she had that recent movie with like Christian Bale and Denzel Washington's son, uh, the spy movie with her and oh, Chris Amsterdam. Rock. Yeah. And that one was kind of like, eh, like received, like, eh, I, I haven't seen it. So I don't want to like shit on it. Cause shout out to Margot Robbie. I mean, I've seen it. I'll shit on it. Oh, okay. Cool. 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 <laughs> Uh, and, and, and there's been this sort of transition in her career to sort of, I don't know, be like the next serious actress who came in. Cause originally I think she was just sort of brought in with like Wolf on wall street and then a lot of, and then suicide squad, suicide squad, just sort of very campy at best. And I'm all here for her. I think she can act. I think she's got chops. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if this is the vehicle for that in my mind, but then again, I'm like the is hetero dude on the couch (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know this is because she's giving me very like early reese witherspoon kind of vibes a little Mm. bit it's like a similar trajectory yeah and i don't i don't know if she's where reese is yet and absolutely i don't know if this is going to put her there yeah like reese uh, margot robbie needs like a a a nine perfect strangers moment Mm. you know to kind of like transition into that kind of legacy of an actor i think my favorite margot robbie performance is i tanya Mm -hmm. i haven't Um, seen it yet it's It's good so it's one of so i'm very like anti-biopic Um, I think like the Oscars are like obsessed with biopics and they'll literally just give the Oscar to like whoever's playing an actual person, Mm -hmm. um, even when the movie is really terrible. But what I really liked about I, Tanya was um, it was kind of like a mockumentary and it was almost like they were interviewing like um, Tanya Harding, Jeff Gluley, the others, um, you know, like, as they are like right now in their current age, them like talking about the incident and everything. Mm. And I think like beforehand, Margot Robbie was seen as this like 
beautiful thing. Like she has like perfect skin. She has this very specific, like she did this really funny video with Vogue where she was recreating the like Patrick Bateman skincare routine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I recommend it. It's so funny, but I feel like, she's one of those actors that she's just been in so many commercially successful movies that people are forgetting about like other, the other like stellar performances. Like even when she did, she did, she played Elizabeth first in the Mary queen of Scots biopic. Mm -hmm. And like that movie had its like faults and qualms, but I thought like she was phenomenal. And I think like when you have, a movie that's obviously going to be like super commercially successful and you kind of like, you know what you're going to expect from it with Barbie, mm. but you have Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach like on board. You don't really know what you're going to expect. And I think they're being really strategic by just doing teaser trailers right yeah. now, even though it's coming out in July and they really should have released like a full trailer at this point. Mm -hmm. I, what I'm most excited about here is how not seriously this movie is taking itself, right? It is leaning oh, sure. hard into camp. It is yes. leaning hard into making fun of itself, right? Because I feel like the Barbie dynasty has been under damage control for for so many years because of it being called out on body image issues that it creates it being called out on a lack of diversity and all these things that it's tried to like fix over the years that now to like stand there and create a whole movie that essentially is poking fun at itself it's like we understand like this is this is a completely made up delusional world that we've created and it being allowed to become that like I'm so here for it because like Barbie at the end of the day is gay. Like it is gay, <laughs> queer, canon. Like I know straight cisgendered women like to claim Barbie as it was made for them, but no, Barbie was like no. the escape outlet for queer men. It was, it is there. There are entire shrines of it in queer men's homes to Barbie. Well, You look at like, you look at Trixie Mattel who is like, like that is like, the brand is like yes. Barbie and she collects like vintage Barbies all the time. I was seeing like a Twitter thread of people being like, if Trixie Mattel doesn't make a cameo in the new Barbie movie, I am setting everything <laughs> on fire. Which is true. And, like, as, and as, as gay men, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for the entire gay man population, but like I wanted to be Barbie and you know, be fucking Ken. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I wanted. You wanted the Malibu beach house. I, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the pink Cadillac, but you know, give me, give me them <laughs> roller skates and, and let me hold <laughs> hands gosh. with Ken. The tagline is so good too. It's like, she's everything and he's just Ken. It's yeah. So he's just Ken. I do. I, I would say, I think the marketing campaign is like hitting it perfectly. Like I'm seeing so many people sharing those Barbie, like, uh, uh, where's, where's your Ken? I don't, movie poster. I, I am very Ken, actually. I'm just like, I'm just water, bro. I'm just here. <laughs> like, I'm just a water on the night shelf, dog. Like, that's just me. That's my whole fucking mood. Um, I, I will say one thing, though. I don't know about Ryan Gosling in this movie. I was about to ask, who's your Ken? Who's your ideal Ken? Only because, and it's not that this isn't a knock against Ryan Gosling, because I really do think Ryan Gosling is a kind of an underrated actor in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if this is the movie for him. He's kind of older, and I feel like this is a movie... Like, sometimes I feel like with a movie like this where it has sort of those nods and winks, and it's actually a deeper movie about the Barbie canon and 
its problematic nature and and so forth and sort of uh, reclaiming it or starting to be some sort of new like like icon for I don't know resistance or queer culture or whatever. Um, I, I don't know if, I, if if he's the face I want out front for that. Mm, but then I, again, I am this is hetero guy on the couch. So. <laughs> if this movie was made in the nineties, I think who it needs to be someone Ken? younger. Of course, it needs to be someone yeah. ma- someone younger. But if this movie was made in the nineties, like would who who, who who is this motherfucker? Like Christopher Walken? No, <laughs> not Christopher Walken. Yes. I would really actually yes, no. Please. That might have been more hilarious if they had made Ken Christopher Walken <laughs> and just everybody play it straight, like like just ignoring the fact that he is a fucking really old geriatric man who, with like weird punctuating like sentences. That might be more hilarious than Ryan Gosling. Would would Freddie Prince Jr. had made a good no, Ken? No, not at all. I mean, mm. Freddie, Freddie Prince Jr. is Ken in real life. Like, he's a smart guy, but mm, nah. I don't know. Listen, listen. Or are you here but for I, Ryan? I mean, at least for, well, I think so, because at least, like, it's going to be fun, like, seeing him play some, like, dumb blonde. Mm. And I also think, like, there is a more attractive Ken, which is um, Simu Liu. Oh, from, sure. From Shang-Chi. And I think, like, there's obviously going to be some rivalry there. And I think it just goes, I mean... I don't mind that he's a lot older and I don't mind that they didn't cast someone younger because when you like, it kind of goes back to how old Mattel is mm-hmm. and how old that figure is. And I'm sure they're going to play into age. Yeah. And be like, Simu Lim is the new, like shinier model than me. And like that kind of conflict there. So I feel like there's a reason why they didn't cast someone younger for that specific part. Yeah. And I put all faith in Greta Gerwig. Like just as a director. Oh, yeah. yeah. So speaking of other gay things in the news to this week, let's talk about oh, gay yeah. beer. Yeah. Um, we're talking about Bud Light. That's exactly oh, what yeah. we're talking about. Caitlin. You <laughs> see, you're, you're, you're one of us on the pod now. Like it's, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> so for those that don't know, Rooster, fill us in. Uh, Bud Light recently partnered with trans activist Dolan, Dolan Mulvaney, which brought conservatives and transphobic beer folk out in force on Twitter. And uh, Kid Rock was, uh, recorded a video with cases of Bud Light and then gunning it down with an AR-15, just, you know, <laughs> voicing his disapproval. And then... Because America. Because America. And then this did kind of, like, hit my heart in a bad way. Or, like, you know, like, in a sad way. Country icon Travis Tritt canceled all Bud Light from his tour writers going forward. I was mad at Travis for that one. I was like, damn. But, like, I, as someone who kind of appreciates country music here and there, you just... Sometimes that shit happens and then you got to like throw out your Travis Tritt records. So first off, shout out to Bud Light, which is something I've never said ever. (laughs) Ever. They made Bud Light Lime before everyone else. They were definitely ahead of the curve Uh before Mike's or uh, before uh, White Claw. Bud Light was trying (laughs) so hard to make drinks that were tasty, which I hated them for. I loathe Bud Light. I never, I, I, I kind of take offense when I'm around people who are like, oh yeah, just get some Bud Light. Like for what? Like to, to ruin our good time? Uh-huh. Um, so, <laughs> you know, shout out to them. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to them. The, it's hard. The thing is though, they're not the only one, you know, like Coors Light, Budweiser, Miller Light, Michelob, they've all done pro LGBTQ campaigns in the past. So like why? Yes. Yeah. Especially during Pride. Yeah. yeah. You know, where. Like you know, another be- like problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Where like, it's only in June. Only in June will 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 do this, and then it's it's back to back to the normalcy. And I use air quotes with normalcy. Yeah, right. I just I literally just read about this today, but I remember right when all of the like drag bands were were being announced. Jinx Monsoon, who I'm I'm sure if you're listening to this. You should know who Jinx Monsoon is. Jinx I'm Monsoon. on this podcast. I don't know who Jinx Monsoon is. You don't is. know who Jinx Monsoon is. Oh, we're going to change this. I am on the couch. He's, he, yes, he's the cisgendered straight man on, on the, the couch. couch. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to fix this. Jinx Monsoon, <laughs> Trixie Mattel, friends of the pod, always welcome. I vaguely, I, I, I could pick Trixie Mattel out in a lineup. Yes. <laughs> Probably have not seen any of their work. Jinx Monsoon is the very, very weird drag queen from like many, many seasons ago that recently came back on the all-stars thing anywho phenomenal singer she is currently playing uh mama morton in chicago on broadway you, she's are... not currently she oh, did leave. she just but she just finished. i did get to see her i get i did get to see them and they're they were incredible i mean they were speaking out against like companies like bud light and absolute and all these things saying like you only support us in june and mm. now these things are happening and like are you gonna say anything about all the drag bands and all the like anti-LGBTQ laws mm-hmm. that are coming out. And so that's when it popped into my head. And then when I saw that Dylan was doing um doing a sponsor thing for them, I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> but this does give me Pepsi can mm. Black Lives Matter moments oh a little performative. bit. Yeah, it feels a little performative. It's not as bad as that Pepsi commercial well, at, at all. Has Bud Light done anything in response? I don't know. They, because they have donated. Well, let's go back because you remember when Campbell's Soup had that ad that had like the two like the the, the two the, dads the, the two dads and then the child with getting some chicken noodle on a on a cold day <laughs> and then everyone was upset in the comments but Campbell's literally was in the comments with them like hey we hear you guess what you should probably not eat our soup anymore like i wonder if bud light's going to take a stance like that right they have to at this point because this is just blatant, like, transphobia. Yeah. And yeah. also, like, very, like the, the whole AR, shooting up air with the AR-15 thing. I'd, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the Kid Rock of it all then. Because, again, back, you know, in Kid Rock's heyday. Let's go back let's, to 1998. <laughs> when on MTV Music Awards, when Caitlyn was just two years old. When f- there were five <laughs> words that came out. <laughs> out of left field and changed America. And those words were, my My name is kid rock. Kid rock. He he did. Yeah. He, he said it twice. Yes. He said kid twice. And And it did. It changed, it changed the face of what uh, was going on in popular culture. It, what what it meant to be anti-establishment, you know, and he was kind of like the face of this, like anti, like kid rock and rage against the machine, you know? Wow. I mean, (laughs) I know I hate to put them in the same category, but like, I've never thought of it like that. I hate to put them in the same category, but they definitely were the, like well, you no, know, it, and it, Limp Biscuit, like all of this was like very well, Woodstock nineteen ninety nine moments, yes. right? And it's awesome you say that because now, to what twenty almost thirty years later, it's like Rage Against the Machines and Kid Rock have gone like their fans have sort of had to take them on differently. Whereas Kid Rock has now become like this conservative weirdo. Like Rage is still very much about their 
issues. Mm-hmm. And now the fans that they had in 1998, 1999 are like, why is Rage Against the Machine so political? And it's like, they're Rage Against the Machine. Like, what machine do you think they were talking about? Like, um, so yeah, but Kid Rock, I don't, yeah, he was definitely at the forefront of being sort of angry suburban white kid who feels like I need to drink Bud Light and hang out with hang out in in alternative spaces that Mm -hmm. would not have seen like those white kids before. You know, this actually makes me really happy because as you're pointing that out, you know, like 1990s, early 2000s, anti-establishment was cis straight white men. Oh, absolutely. And now in the 2020s, anti-establishment burned down the system is queer people of color. Yes. And I'm here for it. We've come a long way. And I love it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have anything else to add to this Are you conversation. A kid, was there any Kid Rock song that you actually liked? A lot of them in the beginning. Uh, I think it's fair just to, you yeah. know. Cowboy, Cowboy is a classic. Is my shit. Uh, I mean, obviously, a Ba with the Ba. You know what's actually low-key, one of my favorite karaoke duets don't, to sing? I saw your picture today. Yeah, yeah. picture, Kid Rock, Show Crow. Yeah. It's a good song. What about you, Caitlin? Any Kid Rock? Like, <laughs> any, has, I mean, as, as, as our, as, as the monolith that is Gen Z that you now that represent, you now represent yeah. <laughs> has Kid Rock ever like infiltrated your airwaves where you're like, oh man, that's a bop. Thank you so much for your question. Um, I did have to like look up who Kid Rock was <laughs> while you guys were- Shit. <laughs> well, let me, it, like, he, just- he was a cult of personality, <laughs> like, if anything. Like, I, there's no. I also just like, Mm-hmm. I listen to very like sad music and some of my like favorite music is like movie instrumental like soundtracks mm. so like I I know like I, like this is just no, me it's just a hard no just a person when we were listening to Ked Rock you were listening to Enya and Bjork <sighs> yeah <laughs> Please don't tell me you're going to Google oh. who Bjork and Kenya are right now. Please don't. Oh, just, I know. Just, yeah. It's me. No. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. And, and, and that was also still that weird time in, in the culture where, like, I mean, pre-internet, really, like, the internet was around, but it wasn't around. No. So, like, MTV was a cultural corner, cornerstone. So, yes. Kid Rock was just everywhere. And then he was very different from sort of straight, straight-laced white guys at mm. the time. Um, and same with Fred Durst, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, Jacksonville's own pressures. <laughs> um, that was, that was a whole era that, that white rock era corn. Yeah. Also. Let's, yeah. Okay. But back to gay beer for two seconds, <laughs> a shout out to Bud Light. I uh, guess. It, please don't make it performative. You know, stay stay on the issue and tell your friends that if they don't like, you know, respect trans lives and LGBTQ issues to fuck off. Go go tell them to fuck off on Twitter. Go drink White Claw. Oh, White Claw is the new Bud Light. I think you're right. It so totally is. And I don't even drink beer and I know this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go drink White Claw. All right. So let's move on to our next segment uh, where we talk about something that we saw online and break it down. This is how much for a gram. Speaking of white folk acting a damn fool on social media, uh, Rooster introduced this for us. In fuck around and find out news, uh, Tanner Cook, a YouTuber, 
was shot by a 31-year-old man, <laughs> Alan Colley, at a mall in Virginia because the YouTuber tuber was apparently praying a, playing a prank on Colley and just Colley wasn't having it. Um, so ha, on Instagram, and actually this is fantastic that we have uh, uh, Caitlin. Caitlin here with us today. Uh, these videos that get shared around, like what are your thoughts on it when it's just YouTubers harassing people in public and making their lives miserable? And so forth. And was this, I don't know, like, is this a good thing? Like, I don't want to advocate violence, but damn, leave people alone. I I just think, like, I think of, like, David Dobrik and, oh, my gosh, Logan Paul and whatever his brother is. And just, like. You just said two names that neither of us have a clue. <laughs> okay. They're, but they're both, like, they do what you're talking about. Like, their whole thing is just vlogging my life and, like, I'm, I'm going to. Gives, I'm going to get a Tesla from someone or I'm going to give someone a Tesla. And, and you know, stories have come out about each of them that have been like one of them has been and don't fact check me on this, but it's like abusing, abusing partners or like mm. um, uh, misconduct in like the workplace and like injuring like fellow like employees of theirs um, through this like franchise that they've made of themselves. And it's just like, where are you going to go from here? And some of it is like jealousy. Like I'm an actor trying to make it. And these people are making it over something like really, really easy. It seems. And Mm -hmm. it's all about like luck and chance and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm not a fan. I feel like people that are younger than me, especially um, like middle school, high school people. Like I have a cousin that's a freshman in high school and it's just like, yeah, this makes sense that they would like this stuff. But I feel like this is kind of like, maybe I'm too old for this kind of stuff right now. Cause I, to be honest, I had no idea who Tanner Cook was or what this, uh, no, me what neither. this is. Well, but there's so many of them now. Yeah. Like that's also part of this it. This feels like going back to the elder millennial of it all. Uh, this feels very jackass. Well, I, I think that's yeah. oh, Tom Green. Or, Remember old school uh, yes, Tom Green. Tom Green. Oh, big tom green fan problematic as fuck uh <laughs> or pranked yeah punk punked punk shows punked. yes um but whereas jackass was them making asses of themselves right yeah. this sounds like somebody going out and like playing pranks on you know unassuming people just going about their daily lives. Like I 100%, I don't know what this prank was that he was doing, Mm -hmm. but I 100% know that if somebody came up to my husband and started fucking around with him, he would shoot him. Oh yeah. No, like do not run up on me on some (laughs) bullshit. I will hit somebody early. Yeah. Like it's not about that. And, and like I, this is God, now I'm going to sound old. (laughs) Like the jackass group troop, whatever you want to call them. Like they were just sort of an extension of older things that used to happen that like daredevil, like, um, um, damn, his name just left my fucking head. Uh, Super Dave Osborne, the you know, evil Knievel, like mm-hmm. these characters mm-hmm. who are like, I'm gonna jump these many buses. It's like, why would you do that? It's like, because I can, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, wow, so it was like Johnny Knoxville, I'm gonna get hit by a bull, like, okay. And so there was still this like reverence or history to it, whereas now because of the internet, it's just clout chasing all the time, yeah. Without talent, without anything. And the weird part is most of these people are just like suburban kids who have parents who have money who can like fund this shit. And that's where I get off. Yeah, I think we're too young into this kind of era uh, to really see what this pans into. Right. Like a lot of these, like you said, YouTubers are doing this occupation of like, I'm an influencer. That's my job. Mm -hmm. 
and how sustainable that is, I don't, I feel like it's not sustainable at some point in time. Like your role as an influencer is going to, you're going to fall off the face of the earth because the next influencer is just going to pop up unless you find a way to pivot and do something, you know, become the next Rihanna, right? Or mm-hmm. something. Or Gwyneth Paltrow. Let's talk about Gwyneth. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. But where it's like, all right, let me take what I've what I've garnered from this moment, these 15 minutes of fame, and then put that energy into something else that actually has longevity, because I don't see any longevity in this. And I also don't want there to be any longevity to this. This all sounds like bullshit. Is how I'm feeling about it. I mean, my philosophy with these like pranks, I mean, like, at least in, like my theater practice is like you always want to make your audience like safe. And if you're doing something that could put your audience in jeopardy, like you at least have like trigger warnings in place. Mm. And I just feel like this is not like that should be in place for these like YouTubers, like at least with like punk and stuff like it was it was. I'm trying to remember, like I've seen like a couple of us. So it was usually punk, set up by their like, friends. Yeah, exactly. And like, you, you, you know, the people and if you're doing it to complete strangers, like you don't know what kind of day they're having, like, Mm -hmm. or what kind of personality disorders they might have any day of the week (laughs) early. (laughs) And uh, that's, I think where, you know, like we've talked about in this house, how uh, we identify as independence, you know, because there's certain things that I might fall on the conservative line of it. And this is where like in Texas, there's a stand your ground kind of law in place where like, if somebody comes at me, I have the right to shoot them and not, you know, like, be politically uh, not be criminally charged like you were attacking me you are infringing on my right to exist and uh, I would like to quote Derek Brown here in a poem that he has that he moved from California to to Texas and he has this poem where he writes back to his California friends where he says I'm paraphrasing a little bit here um, I now understand why everyone in Texas is so nice to each other it's because it's so easy to shoot someone (laughs) if they're not. And so like, yeah, like I am on the side of uh, this old man, Alan Colley, Alan Colley, you had the right to shoot Tanner Cook for whatever harassment he was uh, putting on you. And some of these pranks, that's all they are, are just harassment videos. They're not like anything. It's not funny. It's not planned out. Like you're seeing, and like Grant, I think when, especially like Caitlin was saying, like the few that like cross my Instagram, it's always, you, the happiest moment about it is like, oh, they were a good sport about it. But the one time you find someone who's not a good sport about it, who just or who is Corey, your husband, <laughs> like you're gonna fuck around and find out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, and it's all edited, so you never know like who they were really encountering that day or who they paid, because that's also something yeah. that really doesn't come across. Is like, oh yeah, the, people get paid sometimes for these things, so that they can create their own clout. Yeah. Well, fuck that. That person deserved it. Free Alan Collie. <laughs> we need to make the shirts. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, Caitlin, I know you got to get going. Thank you to Caitlin for joining us on the pod today. Uh, you enjoy the rest of your 
uh, time in New York. And uh, one more time, because you won't be around at the very end, uh, for anybody that's interested in going to go see your show or anything like that, uh, anyone that's interested in following you and your trajectory and your life, which, by the way, Caitlin has a very interesting IG. Uh, uh, I'm here for it. Where can people find you and your work? <laughs> Are you reading me? No, I'm for real. Like, ever I'm since. I'm about to follow you right now. Yeah, ever since, like, you, because of Hedwig, like, now you pop up on my IG much more often because fucking algorithms, right? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, where has this been my whole life? I'm so here for this. <laughs> my little, like, antidotes and whatever. Um, my Instagram is at Caitlin Khan Vulcan. That's another thing. But um, it's an A. It's K-H-L-Y-N-K-A-H-N. I'm being a little cute, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can go to my website, look at my stuff. I have reels you can look at, I guess. What's your website? Um, and I CaitlinCan.com. Spell Boom. that for the for the folks. K a t e l y n k a h n dot com. Boom. Caitlin Con. Ka- Caitlin Can. Caitlin Can. Caitlin Con. I'm I'm leaving it open. I don't have a <laughs> your ver- oh. your verse. It's fine. My verse. Um, but uh, yeah, and then links to my shows will be in my bio, so that's the easiest way to find that. There you go, Caitlin Can. Everybody, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your evening in New York City. We. Are going to move on to our next segment, which uh, may or may not be called Ayo Get At Us or Going Down in the DMs or Chit Chat with Chibi and Rooster is ruining it for all of us. Peace out, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. That was lovely. That was lovely. It's we need more guests on this show. Yeah, I don't because I mean we're cool. We're cool, but like I, that's been one of my favorite things over the past uh, few episodes. Now we're on what episode eight is like when we bring in a guest. Like it's always a new dynamic to the conversation that I'm always here for. So mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna create T-shirts that say "Shout out to blank." You're welcome <laughs> on the pod. Uh, that's gonna be our merch because whoever you are, shout out to you. You're welcome on the pod, and this is one of the ways that you can get on the pod. And that's to slide into our DMs or email us at after two tequila shots at gmail.com. That's after the number two tequila shots at gmail.com. And let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know what you'd like us to discuss. Let us know your thoughts on what is happening and we will respond. Uh, so we put a call out there to see like, hey, what do you want us to talk about uh, this week on the pod? And I got a response. You did. Yes. I saw it. From local San Antonio poet, Cupcake. Shout out to Cupcake. You're yeah, welcome on the pod. Absolutely. Uh, Cupcake wanted us to talk about the Texas poetry scene. And <laughs> that's a big question. That's a really, and that's all, that's all it was. It was like, what do you want us to talk about? And the response was the Texas poetry scene. And sure. That's a lot to unpack. And why are you trying to get us canceled? And if you are not a fan of poetry or the literary Texas scene or the or minutia Texas. that <laughs> we're about to get into right now, yeah. just fast forward. Just yeah. You can totally put this forward. on like double speed and yeah, get yeah. to the, wait till until you hear the, like the music and like tune back in and, it, and it's fine. Cause we're going to talk about Texas poetry. So Texas poetry. Okay. So first off, I think you have to talk about Texas poetry Pre-COVID, post-COVID. Interesting. Because pre-COVID, Austin Poetry Slam was the mecca of Texas poetry. 
I, I don't think that's debatable. I mean, and it's not to say that Houston wasn't great, Dallas wasn't great with multiple venues and all that thing, mm-hmm. but like Spider House, mm-hmm. APS, mm-hmm. Danny Strack at the helm mm-hmm. was elite. Laredo Border Slam, which you founded, uh, Blah Poetry Spot, Border Slam in San Antonio. There was just, there was a lot. And Texas, I think always gets sort of pigeonholed as just sort of almost like illiterate <laughs> in many ways <laughs> compared to the Californias, the New Jersey's, the New York's, the the Chicago's. Shout out to Jose Olvidares. The, the, the Midwest. The yes. Midwest. Minneapolis. Cleveland. Uh, I, Shout yeah. out to Button. So it, it sounds, I will agree in that there was an era. And to be clear for everyone that's listening, I think we are both approaching this from a Texas slam poetry spoken word lens, uh, which we can also pivot and talk about the Texas page poetry lens a little bit. Um, But there was an era from around the early 2000s through 2018, 2019, mid aughts. Yeah. Mid aughts to where, yeah, Austin Poetry Slam, APS, those were the titans of Texas poetry. Neo you know? Soul, even. Like, yeah. yeah. Ne- not just APS. Yeah. Neo Soul. Uh, we're talking about Dashe Moonbeam. We're talking about Zell Miller III. We're talking mm-hmm. about Ebony Stewart. We're talking about Felita Hicks. Felita Hicks. Danny Strack. Um, Andy Buck. Yeah. Tony Jackson, who's Let's now a stand up comedian. No shit. Yes. Shout Tony Jackson to Tony. works. And is also in the tech industry, I recently found out. Mm. Um, Tova Charles. Tova Charles. Like, Lacey Rue. Yes. These, uh, uh, Bill Moran, Cuckoo Spill. These like Texas Titans, really, that uh, were just, that they were unstoppable, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of slam, constantly winning. They were in about, you know, that they were, that it was going to be stiff competition, going out to national competitions and just like winning, winning, winning left and right uh, and making it known that like, hey, you know, like we down in Texas, uh, we actually... Like, I remember having this conversation in the late 2000s about how uh, NPS, uh, as in, uh, no, PSI, Poetry PSI, Slam, yeah. yeah, Poetry Slam Incorporated, as an institution, as an organization, did not want to host nationals in the South. Yeah. Because most of them were Northern based and they knew that they could not win. In the South, there's a very distinct voice to Southern poets Mm -hmm. and also a very distinct palette to Southern audiences Mm -hmm. that does not translate from North to South very well, at least at the time. Again, this is early in the YouTube eras now because of YouTube. I feel like the voice has kind of blended a little bit more because you can be influenced by what you see on YouTube, not just what you see in your community. Uh, But they very specifically did not want to host a national poetry slam in the South because they knew they were at a disadvantage because their poetry did not connect with audiences. But every time we had to go compete over there, we were at a disadvantage. Yes, exactly. And uh, still Mm -hmm. Austin poetry slam, Neo soul multiple time, final stage uh, appearances. Always placing like we're not. Yeah. There were other winners as well. New Eurekans, uh, Mm -hmm. the poetry lounge, shout out to Sean and a lot of other places, San Diego Mm -hmm. with uh, Seattle back in the day. Like there was a lot of places that had like, like just powerhouse places. Austin was the Texas juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was a place where I feel like if you were from Houston or even from here, where if you were good, 
you had to test your might in Austin. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, I remember going like, I, I have a feather in my cap. Okay. I'm going to share this on the pod. I don't Let's give a go. Fuck. This is a feather in my cap <laughs> that I had for a long, long time in that. I'll never forget this. I was the first San Antonio poet to go to Austin and get a first place win. And to wait, no, 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 no applause. I don't need it. I don't need the button. But check it because let me explain why. Because it was a four way tie. Ah. Because it was that serious. We all got perfect thirties in the fourth round. It uh-huh. was like me, Zay, I think Glory B, and then I think it was like Brent C. Green or someone at the time. Uh-huh. And it was just and they were just like, look, we can do another round. I, it's been going on. And it was like, no, we'll just share it. You know, it's a all y'all got first and stuff like that. Like and that was always a feather in my hat because I was like, man, like because Austin was that place where like you mm. know Kevin Burke. I mean Glory. B is amazing. Brantley Caballero. Brantley. Yes. Yeah. Zachary, Zachary Caballero. Like they, All the Caballeros. <laughs> yeah. They come from out of that scene. Yeah. Um, now, transitioning to post. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. Okay. Let's stay, stay in pre-COVID era because also pre-COVID area, especially if we're talking about, you know, the uh, late 2000s to early aughts, San Antonio Puro Slam, mm-hmm. especially in the, in the 2000s, was nothing to be fucked around with, okay? Like in po- a fight or like... No, no, no. Like poets were specifically <laughs> avoided San Antonio oh, yes. because it was the heckle dome because yeah. it was a place where like, if your poetry isn't cutting through the crowd, you're not going to be heard because people aren't going to stop talking. Okay. We got we to provide context. Cause like, for instance, Carla Godero listens. I don't know if Carla's <laughs> ever been to Puro Slam okay. and other poets. So San Antonio was almost like the Apollo theater of poetry venues where it was the heckle dome. Like you said, yes. it was, a it was not just bar setting, but, our slam master shaggy at the time was very much like people you you think about the audience you don't think about the poet so it's like the, these people came out on a tuesday night to experience something a if tuesday you, night at 10 o'clock at night very BT late does. it was very punk rock in his his philosophy of it and so if you couldn't connect with them and they did not like you whatever their response was you deserve that so yeah. if you were bad you're not going to get three minutes and 10 seconds to just go up there and be bad they will clap you car wash clap you off they will mm-hmm. boo you they will heckle you. They will tell you to get the fuck off stage. Yeah. And I, I do miss parts of that. <laughs> and there was a part of it where I, when I was going through it, like I never, I never got terribly heckled. Like I was always getting, I did get heckled from time to time, but like it made it sharper to like, mm-hmm. I have to connect with like anybody who could walk in the bar who hates poetry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to your point, it had a number of national poets shook to ever come feature at Budo. Yeah. They didn't want that. Yeah. It was one of those places that uh, you are not per, you you are not in a friendly space <laughs> you know, the, at all. The people no, no, in the no. audience don't necessarily are not necessarily here for the poetry, and that continued into the into mm-hmm. the uh, into the uh, 2010s in terms of like where the where Puro Slam jumped around to venue to venue, and that you had to earn the audience's ear. They were not just going to give it to you freely, and I think that did create the kind of environment that cultivated very very sharp, very rough, very I'm fighting for my life kind of poetry that. I think is worth deserve recognition and, sure. you know, and ended up winning a national title in mm. 2017. Yes. Yes. Uh, so there was that also, but then what a lot of these community, and then also pre COVID 
the Texas Grand Slam of it all, mm-hmm. right? Out in rural Bryan College Station. Mike check, Mike check. One two, two one, one two. two. Uh, was something that was was created out of necessity, out of a, out of a need to like create a space specifically for Texas poets because there was so much happening, right? There was Austin that had two scenes. There was Spudo Slam. There was Mike check. Yeah. There was a Dallas Poetry Slam. Um, Houston VIP. Houston VIP. There were a number of Texas. Texas is a whole ass country. So there were a number of different scenes, and so creating a space for Texas poets to compete against each other was a very magical thing that then because of how well the slam was run and organized and the the return on investment that poets saw by attending it shout out to Amir Safi the organizer mm-hmm. of it at the time um started to attract national attention and, and people, competed against iWhips at the time yeah they would usually fall under the uh, around the same time in October November and yeah. uh, a little backstory here the way that the weekend for Texas Grand Slam was decided every year mm-hmm. was what weekend is Texas A&M not playing a home game? Yeah. No, which is smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that that's just how it was. It wasn't like we can pick whatever weekend we want. It's like, no, when when do they have an away game? Because we can't compete. We're a football mm-hmm. town. Uh, but that also it created... It created the space for like Texas poets and then outside of Texas poets to come through and really create a... Uh, statewide community, but also this competition of like, okay, so what city's going to take it? Mm-hmm. And uh, te- I know Texas poets were. N- as much as we celebrated everyone who won at Texas Grand Slam, yeah. there was a bitterness whenever a non-Texas poet took oh, Texas yeah. Grand Slam. Yeah, right? yeah, shout out to Icon. <laughs> yeah, but shout we love Icon. Uh, Pages Matam also won Did one he? year. I think so. No. no, it was Kevin Burke twice. I know. I wonder if there's a Wikipedia for Texas. There Grand might Slam. be. We, Texas I call, Grand Slam. This might be a pause moment, but like, call Safi if we have to. Let's let's. Say, this is. What's happening, Amir Safi? You are live on the pod. Welcome to After Two Tequila Shots. Hi. Oh no. <laughs> no, we have a quick question for you. We are discussing. Uh, Texas, the the Texas poetry scene, and uh, we were just reminiscing about Texas Grand Slam, and we couldn't quite recall off the top of our heads who all the winners were, and we were talking about when there were out-of-state winners and how bitter Texas poets were about it. It it was Kevin Twain, Kevin Fluent, Pages, Icon, I think Alex Liu was the next year. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Chakra. Shock, see, oh, I knew she, uh, yeah. I, it was coming to me and I was like, I think it was Chakra, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But that's what we were talking about, essentially, was that like the Texas poetry scene was such a strong scene uh, because of a lot of the work that was done in the late 2000s and early 10s that by mid-10s uh, to the right before covid era poets from all over the country were like, well, I guess I got to go to Texas because that's where poetry is happening. Yeah. You know? You know, uh, what's interesting is I think that, yeah, I think that the infrastructure was the biggest it's ever been then. Just like the infrastructure nationally, right? So like back then there was a BNB that was having hosting tournaments. True. There was a Pepsi that was hosting tournaments. There was a PSI that was hosting, you know, tournaments and so fried southwest shootout mm-hmm. rust so belt fried, southwest shootout this is why yeah. tgs was amazing from an outsider's perspective it was mm-hmm. the affordability was fantastic mm-hmm. but then that also got you a room 
And maybe because yeah. that was in like right. College Station and it was like that affordable because it wasn't like the nicest motel, but <laughs> it, it was, was it, it was Howard Johnson. It was cool. It was a it was a hojo. We liked it, and a lot of fun transpired in that hotel. One hundred percent. But uh, well, but, you, you got to think back then we were just like yeah. Now I think people want like four stars, you know. But back back then we were crashing in people's couches anyway. True. Yeah. True. So, true. True. And then, but then the other thing that y'all did, the other thing y'all did that I have not really seen ever was y'all had the hospitality suite. Y'all had the venue where it was like, hey, if you're a poet and you need, like, you're hungry, you want water, this is this, go up to this one deal. And then we would go up there and it had like Raising Canes, it had like Papa John's, it had Sub or Jimmy John's, uh, it had like water, food, everything. And like, I've never had like that experience ever in, in, in a, comp- a competitive place where it was like, no, it really did feel like the 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 people who put all this on are thinking about it from like that hospitality standpoint. Like people are coming from miles yeah. and miles away, and then eventually, like nationally, like the Alex Lewis and everybody else uh, who who who, who pages and, and and others who who joined the, the to compete, like Desiree Della Giacomo, you know, Louisiana was in that Sam yeah. Sachs, Huey Wynn, like to to yeah, where man. it was so comfortable. And for people who don't know Seth Walker, Shout Seth, out to like, Seth, he toured for three straight years, mm-hmm. you know? So how, how much poetry has he seen in his lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And so I told Seth, I said, Seth, we'll get someone like you. I asked him, I said, we'll get someone like you to a competition. And he said, I look at a competition like I look at playing cards. Mm-hmm. What's my buy-in and what's my prize? Mm-hmm. So... When he said that, that really helped formulate the, if you make final stage, you get your prize money back, mm-hmm. you know, and now we've mm-hmm. seen other, other slams really adopt that. I don't, I don't know many that were doing it before Texas Grand Slam, mm-hmm. if any, you know, yeah. San Antonio's so one, doing it, man. River City Rumble. River City we're, Rumble. We're, it's we're happening. Totally, I, I, I'm <laughs> not even a lie, Savi. We're totally trying to rip off y'all shit. Like, cause no, it was so no, good. Great, like for real, great, man. You're talking to two poets that have been on multiple San Antonio uh, Puro Slam teams. Like, we 100% understand yeah. the struggle of fundraising yeah. to go to these events where you're not going to make jack shit in return, right? Well, but this is a good point. And I want to ask Safi this question, and both of y'all, because, you know, Laredo Puro Slam and, and everything like that. Like, as uh, as sort of like showrunners, event host runners, like you have, you, you've carved out a wonderful scene with right about now. Like, is the goal to necessarily be profitable or to like, we have to still tap into these things regardless of the cost because it's beneficial to our scene for like poets to go to these things in the long run. I don't know the answer to that. That's why I'm asking Uh you. So this is, this is my belief and you can see it through like right about now's infrastructure I do believe we should be for profit because because how much burnout do we experience and how many people do we see continue to leave this art form? And I think Mm -hmm. part of that is resources. For me, I believe that like if you want infrastructure that represents poets, it has to be built by poets. And so like for me, open mics and slam are very sacred spaces because I could not get access or afford to get access to anywhere that would allow me to share my story. I believe that you can actually build the infrastructure 
if everyone gives just a little bit to the cause. Mm -hmm. So like for us, we have a membership and that membership Mm -hmm. is five bucks a month. That membership allows me to work with people like Chibi. So now I can hire Chibi and Mm -hmm. say, Chibi, let's offer free classes to people who pay $5 a month every single month. Now we're creating access and opportunities for professional development but they don't cost the poets more than anything else that's out there. Mm. And we don't price them out of it and take advantage of them, you know? 1,000%. So let me chime in here uh, with something that's a little bit of a pushback, but also alongside of what you're saying in that, you know, like I work for a nonprofit, a nonprofit that is able to pay the salaries of 12 people to Mm -hmm. be full-time on staff, living wages, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You You know? Um, So I think it is absolutely possible to create an entity that is self-sustaining. Right. Cause I think that's ultimately like, correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong rooster, but like if you Mm -hmm. could have a full-time salary to just run right art out, you No, no. And I'm going to push back on you just a little bit. I, I think this, everything we're talking about is exactly why, yo, Cubby Cake, we love you. Thank you for this question. <laughs> but this is what, what I think we're talking about, which is like the thing about nonprofits that I find more than anything is just like, well, why don't you just get a grant for that or get a grant for that or get a grant for that? And, and, and it's like, well, sure. But like to a certain degree, what Sabi is talking about, I also agree with, which is like, what we do should be profitable for what it is. Mm-hmm. And 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 one of the things that I think Right About Now does so well is they look beyond just like the Houston hub that they are to the national, you know, video. Like Right About Now is a media company. It is a media company, actually. It's a, it's on, a paper, media, it's on paper, a media it's a media company. <laughs> and they're great at that. And like they use the, the, the poetry is, is utilized in such a way to where it's like, this is the content. This is what we build from. And I think that's brilliant. Mm. Um, and so like, I don't know if there's a balance somewhere in that because with nonprofits, so like, I think, yeah, yeah, I think there's a room and I think there's a balance. And I think what it comes down to is preference and how you want to navigate and how you want to mm. move. Cause it's not so, just grants. It's also sponsorships well, and like, things like that. that yeah, I would not right, be the helm right. of right about now and or so, right now. Right like, yeah. Cause yeah, I'm a, so, I'm a poet. So first. Right. <laughs> it's not about necessarily becoming rich or profitable. It's about how do we sustain this and, and quit funding our burnout? Mm. You know, how did ideally there would be some kind of infrastructure and someone like Rudy, like has attempted to do this. Right. Mm. So like there was an IWIPS where if you won, you got to deal with the agency, you know? And so some of those poets who won still have an agent. There's, there's one thing that I want to say that kind of goes, uh, pushes back on something that you said, Safi, but is then reinforced by something that you just said, Rooster. And it was something that my mother said many years ago, where she said, the problem with the arts is there's too many artists involved, Mm -hmm. right? There's not, (laughs) there's not enough non artists involved in the art scene to make it a sustainable thing. And like right now, when I said, you know, like Rooster, you know, if you could run right art out full time, you were like, fuck no, I just want to create poetry. Right. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be more investment from squares, from, uh, (laughs) from consumers of art, not producers of art. And in this case, specifically consumers of poetry, not producers of poetry that need to get involved in some capacity because we all need accountants. We all need lawyers. We all need grant writers, you know, like the arts need all these things that, don't necessarily come naturally to art 
artsy folks mm-hmm. or that like we just don't mm-hmm. want to fucking do it, you know, yeah. because it's a lot of goddamn work. And so trying mm-hmm. to get that investment from non-arts creatives to fund and put their time and effort into the arts is where the struggle I think currently lies. There is an individual responsibility and, and people can actually rebuild it, but they have, we have to put in the effort and, and start working the, with each other. Like kind of all three of us are doing right. Yeah, uh, yeah. We have right on now. Kibby is the editor in chief. Now we're publishing your book. You know, it's those kind of like grassroots efforts that, benefit everyone in the community and and just really taking that individual responsibility and ownership to make it happen. Well, Safi, I just want to thank you for taking this opportunity to be completely sideswiped and commandeered into a podcast that you had no idea was about to happen when you answered the phone. We we got to wrap this up, but we'll talk soon. Always a pleasure talking with you, folks. Bye. Hey, peace out. Bye. Uh, and also shout out to Laredo Border Slam that is organizing the battle, battle at the border. Battle at the border. Uh, You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yeah. A lot of San Antonio gonna poets are going to be there. Yeah. Actually, a few Houston poets are saying they're going to be there. Yeah. And I think that's also a, a shout out to an institution like uh, Border Slam that, yes, 13 years ago, it was just me yeah. at a little hookah coffee shop being like, poetry. Yay. Come on, people. Anyone? Mm-hmm. No, just me. Okay. That's fine. Shout out to B. <laughs> still holding it down. You know, that then grew into what it ended up growing into yeah. that was then established as a nonprofit. thanks to my sister. Shout out to Julia. Shout Always out to Julia. On the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has then been, uh, it con- that continues its legacy post-COVID thanks to what I believe is a strong and diverse, you know, board of directors that they Axel. have there uh, that helps sustain it in how it is and it continues to evolve its incarnations. And so I'm a full proponent of it takes a community to build it. Uh, Cuppy Cake, you wanted us wait, to talk wait, wait, about. Wait. We're not done yet, are we? Oh, we're not done yet. We haven't even gotten to like post COVID. So, two cuppy cakes. Question: all, all this, all this time we've talked about kind of like the Texas poetry scene pre COVID. Two cuppy cakes. Question: Let's talk about the poetry scene now. I think it's coming back similar to what Safi was saying. Like, it's hard to say it because for people who are brand new, it's probably blossoming in like this really interesting way where it's like, oh, Laredo, oh, Houston, oh, this place, oh, that. But like to what it was, and I don't, I, like, I am very much resigned to say that COVID-19 is a bitch in the sense <laughs> that like, I remember life pre-COVID and poetry pre-COVID, but like, we have been fortunate enough to have so many new poets come through mm. where I'm like, Oh my God, thank this you. This is my favorite thing about, uh, the blah, blah, blah poetry spot mm-hmm. is how many new poets are just discovering All that poetry is a thing. Right. In the state of Texas, in mm-hmm. the city of San Antonio, like I am all here for the OGs like us, like Safi, like uh, mm-hmm. Candy and Crush up in Dallas, Shout like uh, Danny Strack and, and Glory B and Tova up in, um, up in Austin. Like I'm all here for the OGs. They're still kind of holding it down. But like my favorite thing is seeing kind of like the next generation of poets mm-hmm. that are just discovering this for the first time. Because I remember when I first discovered poetry and spoken word for the first time being like, what? is this world and that was mm-hmm. like in 2004 or 5 something like that mm-hmm. uh, where like it had been around for at least 15 years or so right and hanging out with OGs at the time being like yeah we've been here and being like I had no idea yeah and so I think there's this interesting thing where the 
I don't want to say that it's like a passing of the torch of sorts, but there is a cultivating of the community of sorts where like we're building the bonfire that people are gathering around Mm -hmm. because because of covid there had to be a hard reset and some scenes didn't survive it. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the ones that have survived it survived it either found a way to pivot virtually that kept it going post, you know, I don't want to say post COVID cause we're still in a COVID era, but like post like quarantine mm-hmm. era to where you see right about now still making it through. You see Austin poetry slam, finding a new venue mm-hmm. and finding new, new ways to move forward. You see right out out in the blah poetry spot being completely, it's all new people mm-hmm. at right art out. And like what, uh, what direction that that's going to like now navigate mm-hmm. as it continues to evolve into its next incarnation. Uh, you see things like fluid Fridays happening in Dallas where like we are really celebrating queer people of color and poets up there and not just poets, but it being a multi genre, multi-dimensional kind of show and embracing what that is. Every city kind of has its, its thing that is feels like it's falling into the niche of what the community itself wants. And if there's any city that we have left off the list, Lorena border slam mentioned it already. I I don't know what I know. El Paso kind of does some stuff uh, like here and there. Let us know what else is happening. I want to know. And then get, we will put you in the fold. Like, yeah, we'll shout out to Burke and Albuquerque. But like, you know what? Your text is goddamn it. (laughs) Amarillo. Let us know. There's a, there's Texarkana. There's an entire clean. Hey, actually, we did we didn't even mention Colleen. But let us know like if there's is there's a scene out there. Cause also I remember a number of years ago, post pre-COVID, that uh I think it was Safi that put out a list of like yes. if you want to tour the Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, here's how you can do it in two weeks and hit every fucking spot, mm-hmm. right? Now, what spots are left? We want to know because maybe Rooster and I want to go on tour. We just want to like jump into a car yeah. and like go hit up everything in the like Texas, people everything. talk about the West, the East, the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, the Southeast, the Southwest. What about the Central? Okay, mm-hmm. the South Central. We hear, goddamn it, goddamn it. So we want to know what is happening in the South Central area of uh, as it regards to poetry. So if you in Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Louisiana, uh, what's that other one? Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas may, maybe a little bit of like Mississippi, Mississippi. Tennessee, you know, like we'll, we'll Oklahoma? talk about uh, Oklahoma. I said Oklahoma. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, they're directly north. We'll take them. Let us know what's happening in yeah. your neck of the woods after two tequila shots. That's after the number two tequila shots. Or just DM us. Yeah, that too. If you're yeah, listening yeah. to this, you, you probably know how to access our DMs. Get in there. The Texas poetry scene is final thoughts is rebuilding <laughs> but rebuilding from a much clearer stronger standpoint because we had mm. a moment of pause to really figure out like how, how do we intentionally want to move forward because i feel like pre-covid maybe we had just gotten into a routine mm-hmm. we had gotten into the habit of things we were just moving through what's what's the word i'm looking for we were Repetition. going through the motions oh, okay. we were just going through the motions of what it is we'd always done and now mm. we're like well is that actually benefiting us? And well, how do we want to pivot moving forward in order to really cultivate our community? Sure. I think we're in this beautiful space where Dallas is big. Houston is big. I think San Antonio is big where we weren't before. 
Um, and then Austin is building back. I think Laredo is building back. I think Battle for the Border is going to be great. It's going to be hot. I've been it, seeing the competitor. Like, I signed so up good. for it being like, fuck yeah, let me go down to Laredo and win some money. And then I was like, oh, fuck, we're going to fight for our lives. Okay, <laughs> war, Battle at the Border. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> and oh, Howl's Landing of all places. I know. <laughs> yo, I love Laredo, Texas, y'all. Like, you have... Oh, actually, and this is very similar. Like, Safi, same thing. I don't think I would ever have gone to Bryan College Station. Mm. Had it not been for Texas Grand Slam, mm-hmm. I may have never gone to Laredo if it wasn't for like you, Laredo Border Slam. And it's just because it's like, I think we we ignore poetry as 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 a vital cultural institution and sort of like a, a, a benchmark of a, of, of a whole city and scene where people can then come through, thrive, share. And then it builds upon itself where you have now like bookstores, you have published authors, you have like a whole independent presses, independent presses. You have so much that comes out of your poetry scene. And I think, you know what? I think this is a great question. And though we went long, I think it was still uh, great. Yeah. So thank you, Cupcake, for that com- for that question, that conversation. Maybe we'll talk about page poetry next time. I don't know. That was a whole chunk of it. For those of you who are still here with us, thank you for hanging in through a whole Texas poetry conversation. Let's wrap this thing up. I'm going to go drink some gay beer. Yeah. Just out of support. I'm going to drink some gay tequila. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen any gay tequila. Um, so that kind of makes me sad. But uh, anything upcoming that uh, we're looking forward to, uh, I put in here the San Antonio Book Festival is happening. Um, You're going to be there, no? I'm going to try and go for the Lit Fest. Lit okay. Crawl? Lit yeah. Crawl. That's what they call it. Uh, because we are both going to be in Laredo for the Battle for the Border, so yep. neither of us will be at the book festival. Uh, but if you don't know, the San Antonio Book Festival is one of the largest book festivals in the entire country. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. I'm going to try and hit up the Lit Crawl because Jose Olivares, we mentioned earlier on the post, is going to be here in San Antonio uh, for his new book, Promises of Gold. We've mentioned it a few times on on the pod. Um, so I'm excited to maybe check that out, but that's, uh, that's in my future outside of uh, a shit ton of travel, <laughs> a shit, Iowa, East Pennsylvania, North upstate, New York, West Pennsylvania, back down then to Laredo, Texas. So travel and book festivals. Yeah. No, that's a great thing. Anything you're looking forward to in the coming week or so? <sighs> Not yet. All right. We'll I'm just it. happy to be here. Thank you to everyone who's. <laughs> this is how I know that this is officially the After Two Tequilas podcast because we have been drinking and like called people. <laughs> that is, that is. We me. drunk dialed Amir Safi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to get up on this podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been tuning in. This was episode eight. If you are still here with us, we appreciate you. Please let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about or any uh, any comments or thoughts that you have. If you're on Spotify, you can just leave those. Uh, in Spotify or not email us at after two tequila shots that's after the number two tequila shots at gmail.com uh, Rooster how can people find you if they want you they can find me on Instagram at RoostMTZ R-O-O-S-T-M-T-Z and if anybody wants to follow me Gemini's G-E-M-I-N-E-Y-E-S until next time people y'all take care of yourself stay safe out there this is a Gemini's production bow, 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 bow. we gotta get that drop <laughs> yeah